I just want to bless you guys this morning as you stand before the Lord and you're thinking about what's to come, the power of ministry. The thing that the enemy wants to tell you is you don't have enough. You don't have enough to do justice and to love mercy. You don't have enough power to bring healing and deliverance. You don't have enough money to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. The enemy wants to tell us today, you don't have enough. You don't have enough to follow Jesus and do what he did. And I just cancel that in Jesus' name. And if that's been in your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry for letting those thoughts in. They lies. They're not true. And I receive a sense of your abundance. You're sovereign. You're king. <laughs> You're the top one. You're high above it all. Jesus, you're enough. Holy Spirit, you're enough. Heavenly Father, you have more than enough. Does that help you? Just wave if that's helping you this morning as you think about that. Lord, thank you. Thank you. You have more than enough. You have more than enough. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Nikki to come and join me. She's got a wonderful story for us. And, uh, yeah, I just said to her, do you know that we're just going into the, uh, the month of child protection? And so as you hear something of her story, you'll also see that uh, it, it fits in alongside that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Nikki's got a, a good news story for us, a little bit about how everyday change can bring hope uh, and a sense, yes, of redress and justice and restoration and restitution. Um, so it's wonderful. Welcome, Nikki. Good morning, everybody. Um, I just want to share um, a story of hope and of how prayers are answered and how dreams come true. Um, in 2018, I think it was, we at E.A. Janari, the school where I teach in Bonteville, where I live, we were blessed with a library from the JAG Foundation, but the library was very small and the floor wasn't very solid. We couldn't take our kids in there because of the size and it was not stable. And the books also, uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly age appropriate. And then our reading for Hope volunteers, um, they saw how the library was and they volunteered to come one Saturday and we sorted the books out. And from there, you know, a lot of things happened. From there onwards, we um, had one of our church members here. She ran a marathon and she donated some money to upgrade the library. And after that, another of our church members who works for a big company, she explained the situation there and they actually gave some money. And our library has been upgraded. It's quite big now. It's absolutely beautiful. The books in there are new and age-appropriate. No more yellow pages. Yeah, no, none of that old book smell. We have fresh books in there. And on top of that, we also have a librarian, which is really amazing 
because we are understaffed already at school. So the librarian started last week and Monday. She started taking the kids, or this Monday pass, I always get confused. This Monday pass, yeah. She started taking the kids to the library. The children were very excited. And like Craig said, with the Child Protection Week, it's also a safe space for them. Because a lot of the children in our community in Pontyville, they don't have their own spaces at home. You know, sometimes they live at the back, sometimes in a Wendy, sometimes in a shack. So there's a lot of people cramped in. They don't have a space that they can call their own. But when they come into the school library, it is spacious, it's beautiful, and it is their own space. Also, what was very good about the library for me was Steffi and Vaughan, excellent project managers, if you ever need any. They were amazing. They were so patient. And all of this also um, took place in the pandemic because last year, March, when the school closed, we were going to start the project and then COVID came and it was very sad because everything was shut down. And I was thinking to myself, when is this going to happen? We don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, but what I've seen through this is that God is the same. You know, with him, there's no shadow of turning. There's no variables. You know, he stays good and he stays faithful. And within this period of a pandemic, we have completed the renovations of the library. Books were placed in there. A librarian was given. And um, children are going into the library now. And what is also good for me, if I look at the kids we have, they don't have a lot of outings. Like, they don't know what it is to go camping. They don't know what it is to take a walk on the mountain. They're not always taught social graces by their parents. But when you have a library, you have books with information in it. And when they read these stories, you know, they have like, if I can call it virtual experience. They experience what it is like to go on a camp. They experience what it is like to say also please and thank you and to share with other people. And also their vocabulary, they have very limited vocabulary because of the parents' level of education also. So with the library, we're going to have children with much bigger vocabularies and that is also going to assist um, some of the teachers that's teaching in the higher grades. And I read this quote, and it said that fair is not everybody getting the same thing. Fair is everybody getting what they need to be successful. And so I stand here today, you know, and I want to thank the PPC Church, my family. I want to thank each and everybody that prayed, that contributed in any way. And I want to thank God, because God is good, you know, and His goodness flows through us. And like Craig said, sometimes we feel we're not enough. You know, but it is not us that's doing these things. We do it through the Holy Spirit. We do it through the power of God. And so I just want to thank everybody for your beautiful hearts. And God bless you. Why don't we just, anyone who's involved with Lerada's Hope or Reading for Hope, uh, and you're here this morning, let's stand and give thanks for you as well. Eh? All our... Where's the Lorado's Hope board members? There's a couple of others. There's Reading for Hope. Come on, Cindy, you're involved in that. Father, we want to thank you for what you have done in their lives and through their lives and through this project. And we pray your grace will just continue to increase to them and through them. 
Lord, we thank you that we as a church family, as a body, we get to see these who are our hands and feet and eyes and, and, and mouth to speak and do and act in your name on our behalf. And so we say thank you and we ask for your blessing to increase. And Lord, we ask for the idea of this to spark more in us. And for the idea of this to be duplicated in other communities and other churches and other places so that many, many more will get what they need, what is fair, what is a fair start in uh, their journey and path of life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I'm not going to need it. <laughs> Thanks, babe. So when I was 14, one of my brothers told me that my parents were getting a divorce. I was heartbroken and angry, but not surprised because my father suffered from profound uh, depression and no one in our family had been able to have a meaningful conversation with him for at least four years least of all me his youngest son with a disease that saw me lying in a hospital bed for two of those years and so when I was at home I found that while his body was there his heart and his mind and his spirit his his person were strangely absent even his voice, once the voice of a dynamic multilingual preacher, he spoke seven languages, five of them African indigenous, sorry, four. Even that voice was almost completely silent. He never spoke to me. And as I entered my teen years, although baptized, I dropped out of church completely. Although a year later, drawn by entirely dodgy motives that go with being a teenager, I ended up on a mission team that was preparing to lead a holiday club, something similar to what our young people sometimes do. And uh, Stephen, the leader of the team, I think he looked across and realized he had more mission work to do with his leaders than he had mission work to do with the children. And on our first morning of training, he turned to Romans 8 verse 16 and he read these words. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then he disarmed me by personalizing it. He simply said that in his heart, he could as it were, hear God saying, Stephen, you're my child. Stephen, you're my child. And so I closed my eyes, imagining God's deep, you know, movie narrator type voice, saying, Craig, you're my child. Craig, 
And immediately it struck me that if I had to imagine it, I did not know it. I did not know what it was to have a father, whether on earth or on heaven, to tell me who I was, where I belonged. And like a prodigal that day, underneath the stage of the Bloemfontein Baptist Church Hall, I couldn't hide the tears anymore. And like a prodigal, I turned for home, confessing my sin, no longer blaming others for my pain, and found that through Jesus and his name, through the love of my heavenly Father, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, I could walk into relationship with God. And without knowing it, literally in that moment of coming to faith, meaningful faith, I had been immersed, baptized into, in the heavenly realms as it were, and it's always meant to show in the physical, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I had entered Trinitarian life, Trinitarian reality. That makes ministry possible. That makes living well possible. So today we continue to look at this idea, this, this theme, the power of ministry. Remember last week we looked at the Old Testament prototype of how Elisha was to, Elijah was Elisha's prototype. And this was the succession plan, as it were. And then we got to the New Testament. We saw those parallels carefully crafted, especially by Luke, of, uh, you know, built around the ascension and Pentecost itself, of how Jesus, as it were, becomes our prototype. And so as Elisha became Elijah's heir and successor, so Jesus turns to the plurality of his church and names us as his heirs and his successors in the work that he, and mission that he does. God really wants us to do what Jesus did. <laughs> you can't miss it in the Bible. Now, where the debate goes is which parts of what Jesus did are transferable or not. Just listen, to, this is not our main reading. In fact, I've got several, so it's a bit of a topical study today. But John 14, uh, Jesus says this, I am the way, verse 6, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he establishes his uniqueness right there. Boom. And then in verse 12, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I've been doing. And there he expects continuity. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, the ministry of Jesus, although he is unique in many ways, is meant to continue through us. He is uniquely the way, the truth, and the life. And yet verse 12 is very clear that one of the ways God expects us to follow Jesus is by doing what he did. So this the, the passage holds this profound 
crucial paradox about the Jesus with an identity that is unique. He alone ever is the only man whose identity was God. He is true God of true God and yet true human being. His identity is unique and his ministry is transferable. And we keep mixing up three things. And I just want to remind you of what we looked back in January of 2020 before we were interrupted with our series. The first is this, three things. His unique identity as true God who is also fully human. That is completely unique. <laughs> there isn't, as it were, a member of the Trinity who is human. And there isn't a member of humanity who's truly God other than Jesus Christ. Completely unique in his identity and humanity, yet divinity. Secondly, his unique work, and we looked at this, of atonement and redemption, in which he accomplished in his humanity. The Bible's very clear in many places. For example, Hebrews 2, for this reason he had to become like us in every way. Share our flesh and blood that he might, you know, as it were, as our representative substitute in his death, resurrection, ascension, and in the ascending of the Spirit, uh, ascending of the spirit uh, his work is completely unique. No one else will ever qualify to die for your sin or mine. No one else can ever atone. And we completely misguided when we think we're going to be good enough to, as it were, earn the favor of God and, 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 and deal with our sins for ourselves. It's just not going to happen. The third thing, though, and this is where we mix it up, and we often mix up points two and three, believe it or not. The third thing is the transferable ministry and mission of Jesus. He is fully human, yet in submission to God, filled and empowered by the Spirit. And this is how he brings the kingdom on earth, uh, from heaven to earth, in which God's will, as it is in heaven, starts being done in everyday ways through everyday people. And that's pretty much the rest of the series, as it were. So what are those three things? His unique identity, his unique work of atonement, and his transferable ministry. Now, when we come to ministry, we're going to be spending a lot of time, guess what, on the transferable ministry of Jesus. Without a clear understanding of this third question, we keep missing the essence of discipleship. You know, Jesus is saying, now that you've followed me, go and do what I do. Without this, Jesus is like a hero, but he's never our model. We, we confuse the fact that he is unique with the fact that we're supposed to do what he does. But with this understanding, now hear me, every single page of the Gospels comes alive with lessons on how to do it. You see, when we use the ministry miracles of Jesus to prove his divinity... Hey, we're very confused because then we end up with Elijah and Elisha who pretty much did the same stuff. I listed it deliberately so you could see the parallels. They raised the dead. They had natural miracles. They made things float. They parted waters. They fed the multitudes. They, you know, they had spontaneous supply. They cared for foreigners and widows and orphans and outcasts. They did the Jesus stuff. We can't say that just because the grace of the miraculous is coming through someone's life that they must be God. I mean, you just got to tear up most of your Bible. 
the miracles of Jesus are not there to prove us that he is God. Although John sometimes uses the miracles of Jesus plus the words of Jesus. In other words, the man who said what he said and did what he did must be God. But it's, it's directly connected to specific sayings that Jesus said. But generally, most times when we read, we're not being, you know, we're not being shown that Jesus is God any more than Elijah is God, or Elisha is God, or Peter was God for raising Tabitha, or that Paul was God. The point is, this is what kingdom ministry looks like. That's it. Every page of the New Testament comes alive with the application of ministry. So what I want to do today is, and it's going to flow into the rest of the series, is just point out, how did Jesus do it? I mean, it's pretty impressive. Like, I don't want to diminish it for one moment, but how the heck did he do it? And what can I learn from Jesus that I can take forward? Now, one of the things to do is to go and reread the Gospels and ask yourself that question again and again and again. How did he do it? You will be amazed that when you take him seriously as an example and you want to learn from him, how much your life and ministry will change. So, but we're not going to read all four Gospels and do that. I'm going to just summarize very briefly, fortunately for you. The first way that Jesus did ministry is he did it out of relationship with the Father. Jesus emphatically affirms again and again his dependence upon his Father to do ministry. It was out of this relationship of trusting, submission, and love that is like the source of ministry. It is that love that births life in everyone that Jesus meets. And, and we know that that's the biological way life comes. Love results in life. <laughs> and this relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And it is preceded. Jesus' ministry did not begin until the word and proclamation of God's love is spoken over Jesus at his initiation, at his baptism. This is my son, and I love him. I am so pleased with him. And so Jesus submits himself to the Father. Now, I could give you scripture on scripture, but for example, John 5, verse 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Now, is, he, is his identity God? Absolutely true God of true God. Yet he says, I do nothing by myself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son, shows him all he does. Yes, he will show you even greater things than these and you will be amazed. A little bit later, he says, verse 30, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my justice, uh, my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 7, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. And so we could go and we could look at John 8. We could look at John 14. Uh, we could look at, um, for example, even the, the passage just before he says, you will do the miracles. He says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father? The Father is in me. The words I say to you, I, they're not my own authority. It is the Father living in me doing his work. There is this relationship of Father, Son, 
out of which these ministry, and, and clearly in this context, these miracles flow. You know, Jesus could say at Lazarus' tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> and then a little bit later, just in case you think you're doing it by himself, he prays and he says, Father, thank you that you always hear me. I'm just having this conversation with you entirely for the sake of the people around you, around me, so that they know that we're doing this together. <laughs> just when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and you think he's going to do it all by himself, he prays out loud for one specific reason to make sure that people can see that he's chatting to the Father. It flows out of relationship. Now, there's amazing truths about the Trinity that we don't fully have time, but just make sure. this. Remember last week, we saw how beautiful ministry is. If you think of what ministry is, ministry is healing, ministry is freedom, ministry is provision, ministry is protection, ministry is care, ministry is hope. If you think of the beautiful things that ministry brings, it flows out of relationship, out of intimacy, knowing we are loved. Knowing our Abba Father is King. The second thing is that it's very clear in the life of Jesus that his ministry is by the presence, the fullness, the power, the anointing, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now those things blur. <laughs> but they are all ideas that are there in Luke chapters 3 and 4. So he has the radical thought. You know, Zechariah 4 verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, was true for Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was not operating out of his undeniable innate divine capacity. He parked that as an act of his will so that everything he was doing was out of relationship with the Father and by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, after prophesying in, in, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that God will be Emmanuel. God will be God with us. Son of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7 and 9. We read in chapter 11 this, about this one who will come. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. In other words, the house of David will be cut off to a stump. It was a lovely big tree. It had, you know, kings and queens and rulers and, and power, and it got cut absolutely to just a stump, not a leaf, except there's now a shoot, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And this is how it's going to happen. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counseling and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So this explains why Jesus didn't begin his ministry until his encounter, as it were, public encounter and anointing ordination by the Holy Spirit. As it were, the Father puts his hand on him and the Father says, you're mine, and releases the Spirit's enabling through the Son. Now the Spirit had been with him before, but as it were, the change is that the Spirit comes upon him in that moment. Jesus is filled, but he's also empowered. He's anointed. And so we could look at, um, you know, Luke 4 verse 1, Luke 4 14. And then he begins to operate under this anointing and using the gifts of the Spirit, for example, healing and um, deliverance, etc. Um, in Luke 4 18. So Jesus then picks up on this idea and he says 
in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, so yeah, he's talking about the ministry of deliverance and setting people free. Notice this. If it is that I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, that's how he does it, by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God <laughs> has come upon you. Notice, now the kingdom is on you. <laughs> and so when, when we do things by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we are not just doing ministry. We're releasing the will of God on earth as in heaven. And that's what describes ministry. Now, the church has come up with many different definitions and structures and plans for ministry and in some ways, some of that organization is cultural. But when we start losing sight of whenever I do something by the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, whether it is going to read with a child and enabling them to become literate, <laughs> whether it's activating and accessing resources in one place and relocating those to people who really knew it, when I'm in that space and I'm doing it by the Spirit of God, or whether it's praying for a sick person and watching them get well, or leading someone through a step of, of repentance and forgiveness and watching them break free. Or taking, as it were, literally sometimes someone by the hand. And taking those first steps of faith as my friend Stephen did for me under the Bloemfontein Baptist Church hall floor. When the Holy Spirit is at work... If by the Spirit of God I do dot, 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 fill in whatever the blank, then the kingdom of God is come. That's how the kingdom of God comes. We do ministry in Jesus' name. And so this is very evident, for example, in Peter's sermon um, in, um, when he was preaching to the first Gentile converts in Acts 10 at Cornelius' house. You know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. Listen to this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. It was activated at his baptism. Now, it wasn't that he became God in that moment. He was always God. It wasn't that some, God adopted him in that moment. He was true God of true God. What happened is God empowered him. And, and release this ministry, this life of ministry. And then it says, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And again, you see the presence of God the Father, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the third way he did this is by the authority of his own uncompromised name. You know, Maybe an illustration is helpful. If you remember um, Jacob and Esau and Esau selling his birthright for a cup of soup. Mankind, when we were entrusted with a birthright to bring God's will from heaven to earth, when we sinned, we sold our authority and birthright to the enemy. Understand this. Jesus never surrendered that authority. There is only one man's name on the earth. <laughs> one man who literally is flesh and blood like us, whose name is undefiled and uncompromised. Notice the early church didn't say, 
Rise up and walk in the name of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They realized that God had come in the man, Jesus Christ. And so when they did ministry, they said, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the man with the street address, rise up and walk. And so only this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is declared to be Lord and Christ. Acts 2 verse 36 is worthy of our faith and authorizes ministry. Acts 3 verse 16, for example. Peter and John have just told that the lame man at the gate beautiful to, to walk. And it says, by faith, in, he's explaining. They're going, how the heck did this happen? He says, by faith in the name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus obviously means he's person. It's by faith in the name, the person, but this undefiled, uncompromised name. This man, you see, is now made strong. It is Jesus' name, emphatically. And faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man, as you all can see. In Acts 4, next chapter, verse 12. It's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Salvation is, give, is found in no one else. So what do we have? We have a complete Trinitarian framework. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't need to call on his own name. <laughs> when he was doing ministry, he could just say, rise up and walk. His followers have to say, I don't have that power. I don't have that supply. I don't have that apart from the person of Jesus. But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so we see Jesus, especially in John 14 through 17, repeatedly training his disciples. Guys, you've got to use my name. Ask in my name. Pray in my name. Do it in my name. Now here's the kicker. What I learned on that day I got saved that I have a Father in heaven who loves me and calls me his own. And I do know what it is to be able to say with honesty that I have the witness of my heavenly Father by the Spirit because of Jesus that I am his child. I am, I am his child. None of these things have been denied us. Is Jesus denying us a relationship with the Father? Not a chance. <laughs> He's making it possible. Is Jesus saying, no, 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 you leave the Holy Spirit alone? That, that, that's exclusively mine. No, no, we saw last week, Jesus is going, come on, let me clothe you with power. Is Jesus saying, leave my name alone? Everything. And so we read in John 20 verse 21. Jesus said this, post-resurrection encounter, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. Turn to the person next to you and say, what does the word as mean in that sentence? And then ask them, answer the question, please. <laughs> as the Father has sent me. Do you think in the same way, in the, in, in, in the same way, 
in the same way the Father sent me. How did the Father send me? He sent me out of relationship by the presence, fullness, power, anointing, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I have come with the name that I'm entrusting to you. It's my name. And you know, we, we don't even pray the heavenly titles of Jesus as much as they are true, and we worship those. But the early church models consistently that when you're doing ministry on earth, you use the earthly titles of Jesus. But you carry the heavenly grace. Does that make sense? You fully acknowledge that he is the Messiah, the anointed king. You fully acknowledge that he's got the name above every other name. You fully acknowledge that every knee on the earth and under, I mean above the earth and on the earth and under the earth, every tongue in the same locations, they are all bowing to him. That, that's undeniable. But, but when you do ministry, you do it as Jesus would. So here's, here's the thing. When Jesus went around and he saw someone, part of his posture towards them was always asking, Father, what are you doing? Holy Spirit, how do you see this person? Help me understand. And so whether it was a woman at the well who came in the heat of the day, all by herself, ostracized, and he listens. And by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic gift is given to him in that moment. And he discerns. But he doesn't just discern information. He discerns a wise path forward to make sure that this pastoral encounter is not shaming for her, but actually a saving moment for her. And so he pays attention. And it is out of that relationship that he stops for the one. And this is what doing it like the Father does is you will never meet someone that your heavenly father does not know and love and that the Holy Spirit does not want to reach and heal and save. You will not meet a person that fits that category and you will not meet someone for whom the work and the name of Jesus Christ is insufficient for their need. And so how do we go? How do we do this? Well, we go back to read the Gospels and watch how in his everyday life, Jesus would stop for the one. Oops. Stop for the one. Time to finish with that. How he would open up that which was inside of him, the love of his Father and the power of the Spirit and let that flow through him into the need that's in front of him. And the enemy still wants to tell us we don't have that power. We don't have that means. I remember once in a life-threatening situation, medical emergency, rushing, and praying in all honesty, Jesus, if you were here, this would be okay. I honestly believe Jesus could save the life of a child who was dying through a brain uh, trauma. And I was racing to the hospital and I'm praying with all the faith that I don't have. Jesus, if you were here, this would be okay. You know, it's a good biblical prayer. It's what Mary said. It's what Martha said when Lazarus had died and I was absolutely distraught. 
And then I extrapolated my prayer. But you're not. I am. And it sucks. And I realized I believed a lie. That I didn't believe my Bible and I didn't believe the promises of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm never leaving you. And my father's never disowning me. So there in that train, as I was racing to the hospital, I repented of believing that Jesus was leaving this up to me. And in that moment, invited his presence, his love, his power, which has been with me since I prayed under that church floor. To be the power I need for ministry. And that this family needed me to be. And it took a couple of days. But we literally saw miracles, plural. And since I've come to understand how Jesus did it. Honestly, honestly, and I, I'm happy to take time with you both in the scripture and in the stories. I've seen dozens and dozens of not just answers to prayer, but out and out crazy blow your mind miracles. Because I've stopped thinking, God, it's up to me. And I've started believing, God, <laughs> it's over to you. I'm just here. In relationship with you, carrying and bringing your spirit in the name of Jesus of Nazareth.